Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. <laughs> I, I, I'm chuckling because I thought of the word expert. Am I an expert in practice or about practice? <laughs> well, all the time I've invested in pondering the nature of practice, I, I guess I could be. But this podcast conversation with Whitney Walrath was so stunningly insightful on her part. She's the expert. I'm the appreciator. She gets it. She, she is what Peter Vale and I conjectured about in regard to someone who's self-aware, someone who is in, in charge of uh, all the faculties that she play, applies to her work and to the rest of her life and on and on. But listen to this conversation with Whitney and it's premium stuff. Uh, and humbling for the so-called expert on practice, <laughs> David Fearon. But you didn't intend to humble me. She's too kind. <laughs> and and um, But this is Whitney Walrath, who is Vice President for Business Development. That's her promotion for the Rex L Corporation, which is a global company that distributes all kinds of electronic components for the home and for the business and for the world. And uh, it's changing. And I have characterized her, as you'll soon hear, if I can stop yakking, I have characterized Whitney as a changer. She, her practice is to be a changer. You'll see what I mean. Here we go. Well, I, I have uh, gotten into my covered wagon and I've gotten up on the Oregon Trail and I've traveled all the way to Denver uh, in my imagination to reconnect with a really great practitioner and we'll fill in the gaps of, of what, but Whitney Walrath gets what it means to be a practitioner. And I, she hasn't even told me that yet. I'm just telling you, because I knew Whitney when we worked once on a leadership development program, a really cutting edge leadership development program. And I saw um, this pattern of clarity in regard to how she's using her experience, both to benefit, obviously, the company and the folks we're serving, but also to use that experience to sort of rolling it up and putting it into her lesson box <laughs> and becoming smarter about things. So uh, Whitney, welcome to the practice podcast. Thank you, doc. I appreciate you inviting me. I've always enjoyed us working together. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Well, I, I like to uh, come up with a thought before we start of uh, an impression uh, for, for people like you, whom I, I know, and um, here's his, his what I jotted down. The first word that I put down was change. I thought, well, who doesn't? I mean, change is everywhere now. But I, 
I will tell you quickly that one thing Peter Vale said in one of our podcast conversation was, Dave, there's only one reason for leadership, change. Think about it, Dave. If something doesn't have to change, you don't need leadership. So you assess whether it needs change or not. And if it does, someone has to take the first bite on the apple. So I always thought of you, Whitney, looking at your your resume on LinkedIn, uh, you had a number of jobs usually lasting a couple of years. I thought on the surface, I thought, gee, you know, in my day, if someone had a resume that showed that they were changing jobs every two years, we think they're kind of flaky. But that's why I added one more letter because you weren't flaky at all. Brittany, Whitney, I'll edit the stumble. Whitney Walrath is a changer. I added an R. You're a changer. What yeah, do you think? I think what, that's do you, fair. What, what do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, I think, you know, it's funny when I think back to when I was younger, I, I would have put myself in the camp of a little bit nervous about change. Change would have you know, made me a little bit cautious, a little bit nervous. And then as I, uh, as I really started my professional career, I think I really started to embrace it um, and love it and find the right kind of path for it. Like not change for change's sake by any means. I mean, none of us no. need that. None of us just need change for change, but you really understand the opportunity for it and figure out where there's, there's a role. Um, you know, I like working with people. I think communication is one of my strong points. And I, I think that's one of the biggest pieces of change is just being able to communicate why, what, how, you know, where are we progressing? What's the next step? How do we keep going from here? Recognizing, you know, the, the successes, recognizing where there's failures or where there's opportunities to improve. And um, yeah, I think it's something I have actually, you know, built my career around a little bit. I hadn't really thought about it that way, um, but you pointing it out, I think you're right. And when I think about what has led from one role to the next, as I've evolved, it has been around those changes, whether I've yeah. been whether it's kind of the natural evolution of the next piece that I'm carrying on in a bigger kind of strategy for the organization or whether, um, you know, the, I'm being asked to kind of do a manage another change process in a, in a new capacity. Mm -hmm. I would say that's, that's been part of it, but I agree. It's actually really insightful. What Peter said too, about leadership. I think you're right. You know, I, uh, the industry I'm in is a, is a very old school industry. We part of the reason that we're going through much, so much change and have in the last decade or so is because we're, um, evolving and adapting a lot of technology. It is changing the way we work. It's changing the way we interact with our customers, with our suppliers. And, you know, it's interesting when you talk to some of the folks who've been around for a long time, you're right. I think leadership historically has been more about just kind of keeping the ship running, just kind exactly. of the, the nice steady. and steady, very yeah. traditional business in regard to putting electric components and parts out into the, into, into your, uh, what is the, what do you call them now? Not stores. Yeah, our branches, your yeah. branches. Yeah. And uh, electricians and, and others do it self as would come in and they would buy and, and there were SKUs and all that. And it was such an orderly life. It, it was, it's not anymore. But it was. Right. <laughs> it's not anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's changing, especially with supply chain, honestly, in the last, you want to talk about more oh. change in the last you know two years, that has been a, um, a huge shift. I mean, a, a huge thing that has required all of us to think differently and work differently but you're right. Mm -hmm. I think leadership is such an important part of that. It's not just keeping the day-to-day -day going, but it's really how do we adapt? Um, how do we keep getting better and you know meet some of the challenges? I can remember 
one of our early conversations, and um, I think we we might have been talking about how we introduce the, the concept of comfort zone into the uh, next uh, leadership development program. And, uh, and you were talking and I, and I think you said what I really could be most comfortable for doing is something having to do with analytics, I, you know, crunching numbers and, and uh, seeing, uh, you know, the tallies of sales and everything coming together. Uh, that was comfort. I mean, that's, that was your very comfortable sweet spot. Am I yep. right in my memory yes. there? Yep. And you and I probably wouldn't have met if you had stayed in that, in that role, but you probably would have been making a, hopefully a, a steady living and, and doing other things that matter to you, but the, it, your job itself would just be comfortable. So you could do things that matter to you outside of the job. But over time, what I've seen in your resume and is that you look to see where in this particular company, where the changes are going to have to happen. And, uh, and, and you're a part of that. I, I can remember toward the end of our collaboration, there was going to be a branch uh, up in, in the north part of uh, Colorado, was it? Yep. Or the next state over. And it was basically new territory. I was kidding about coming out on the Oregon trail, but <laughs> you were essentially doing some trailblazing there, weren't you? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. No. And I, I think, you know what it is? I, 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 uh, I enjoy challenges and I think that's part of what comes with change is finding those opportunities for a challenge. So, you know, we all like the stability of doing the things we're good at or the things that come easy to us or come natural to us. And I do too. I mean, we all like that. But I think more important for me um, is being challenged. And that requires change. That requires being pushed out of your comfort zone. That requires finding those areas that maybe nobody else wants to do um, or, you know, everybody else has decided it's not worth doing or it's too hard to do. And, and not that I necessarily have some magic solution to make it work, but just I think approach, approaching it with an openness and a willingness to try and come in and get a different perspective and, and collaborate. Um, you know, nothing I've done has been on my own. So collaborate. So I think that's what drives it more than anything for me is always seeking a new challenge. Yeah. Back to Peter Vale again. When, when in, in 1989, he, uh, a book came out that he wrote called Managing as a Performing Art. In fact, I think maybe we, you and I and, and Jackie talked about that we because did. what he put in that book was the enduring idea that we are all entering permanent whitewater. There's, there's no still water and there's no bank to stand on for very long. You're going to be swept along. So what you knew for sure today would fail you tomorrow. And in the conjecture in our new book on practice as a way of being, uh, which uh, I finished after Peter passed away. Uh, there was a whole string of uh, learning challenges that he listed in one of the chapters uh, con connected to whitewater. Uh, and I think if you looked at that list, you'd say, wait, that's, you know, like 17 items. That was just my day. <laughs> <laughs> but they weren't just challenges. They were learning challenges. You, you, you say what I mean about that? 
No, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things you and I had spent some time working on was talking to about generational differences. And this is where mm-hmm. I do think, you know, I'm a late millennial, um, right on the cutoff of a millennial. And I, uh, I think I had the benefit of my whole career, my whole professional life has been has been white waters, right? It, it has always been change. Um, you know, I entered the working world right around the Great Recession. Um, so, you know, I didn't know much else other than kind of chaos and having to respond and, you know, yeah. not sure, uncertainty. And so in some ways, I think, you know, myself and, and maybe generations younger than me, we have a little bit of an advantage just because we don't know anything else. Um, so a we, huge we point. I never thought of that, but you put it, you put a perfect circle around that. You didn't know better. You hadn't had what my generation had were years and years of steady, peaceful, easy to plan life. Yeah. And you know, it went funny, away and in, in 80 and what, uh, 2008. <laughs> Right, right. And, and you know, things are cyclical, life is cyclical, business cycles are cyclical. But I remember when, you know, COVID started a couple of years ago, uh, um, you know, all of us weren't sure, right? We weren't sure in March of 2020 what was going to happen. It looked like the economy was, I mean, it was, it, it shut off overnight. Um, but it was very similar to kind of that 2007, 2008 into, from a business perspective, right? You look at, okay, what costs can we hold back on? What can we defer? You know, where can we we cut? Obviously trying to preserve um, employees and salaries. You know, last thing we want to do is let people go. So what else can we do? And I remember I had a couple of, of younger employees that only been in the workforce for a couple of years. They were terrified. They were in my office terrified. Like, what does this mean? Am I getting fired? And it's like, no, we, we've been through this before, right? We've been through this before. It'll be okay. We'll work through things, kind of explain to them what to expect. You know, things are going to change. Here's what to expect. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways, and and I don't know that those cycles come, it, it feels like they're coming more frequently. Maybe that's just uh, time passing, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's been more, um, I think it's helped. It's helped a little bit because it's not as out of the norm. I mean, which isn't great, but it, it helps those of us who have gone through these that you have some experience. Practices, locations, solutions to s- supplies, staffing. Yep. What what's uh, where's some adapting going on in your on your agenda right now that you can talk about? Yeah, I think all of those things. I mean, you you hit it on the head. I mean, staffing is a challenge. I, I think that's a challenge. I, I don't even think it's unique to our industry. I think I don't even think it's unique to the U.S. I think there's a global phenomenon where the workforce is changing. Um, you know, there's not, but honestly, there's not enough people. There's not enough people to fill the jobs we have. Um, you know, and even the type of work that they're doing is changing. So that's a continual challenge of figuring out how do we get enough people? How do we keep them, retain them? I think, you know, you're right. My career path and I've changed jobs every couple of years, um, I think used to feel pretty unusual. Now, I, I think it's not as unusual. And so you have people that you bring in and they're looking for something new in a year. And so how do you either, <laughs> right? And so how do you either continue to engage them in a way that they're feeling um, enriched and they're still feeling satisfied and they're getting what they want, um, or be able to change roles that quickly? Quite frankly, I mean, and, and that's hard for an organization to do. That's really hard for an organization to do. So Absolutely. staffing is a is a huge one. You know, the supply chain has um, introduced a whole new complexity for us and our manufacturing partners of really having to get creative and understand. Uh, you know, logistics of how we handle things, you know, our partnerships and and really change some of the product offering even. I mean, you, you have situations where maybe a customer wasn't willing to take on a newer technology, but that's the only product that's now available. It's forcing some changes in the industry, um, which aren't all bad, to be honest. They're not all bad, but it's it's 
it is definitely um, added a new element that we've not had to do before. It's an added a complexity. And in some ways it's been good because in some ways, a lot of what we do as a distributor is the supply chain. And it's really yeah. showed the value of logistics and the value of managing that. Um, so in that part, it's been pretty positive, but it's been a lot of work. Um, you know, technology is changing. So how our customers work, how we work, I mean, Zoom meetings and, you know, being able to be digitally connected, um, you know, we're trying to go paperless where, you know, like all organizations, we're trying to do what we can for the environment and trying to figure out how do we go paperless, which means now maybe, you know, our guy in the warehouse, instead of walking around with a piece of paper and circling it, they've got an iPhone or they've got a tablet. Um, so, you know, things are changing really, I'd say almost on all fronts. Um, training is another one. You know, I think... Yeah. Again, the pandemic really changed this. I, I I personally think, you know, in-person training is one of the best, if not the best way to do things. But, you know, we didn't have that luxury for, you know, a year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. So how do we do things again, like Zoom meetings or is it video calls? I mean, how do you get creative um, and, and be able to still teach people when you can't necessarily sit down in front of them? So I think a lot has changed, especially in the last two years. Recognize, for example, in training, that you might have had a nicely tied, a nice tidy um, package to train about it, whatever it might be. Right. And then it is obsolete or it has to be modified. So even the curriculum, the material, the content of training itself has to keep up and almost and definitely anticipate what's next. So that that role that once you and Jackie and uh, and I I assisted out from the outside had when you were looking at what do they need to know from technical to strategic. It's hard to package that now, isn't it, Whitney? It is, but you know what's interesting, and I, I remember us talking about this, and this was a couple of years ago, and talking about the idea of you know kind of open source, um, you know, training or open source classes and curriculum, and you know I think there's the more formal piece of that where you go to you know a university setting or you you get kind of a, a formal um, presentation mm -hmm. from an expert, so to speak. And then there's honestly YouTube. I was just having this conversation last week. So we have a new salesperson. He's only been with us for about two months and he's really taken a liking to solar. Um, is solar as a product category. We have some training that our manufacturers have provided us, but to your point, it could be a year old, which in that category makes it kind of obsolete. You know, it gets you the <laughs> basics, but it's it's not the most current. Well, this this individual, um, he's just been doing watching YouTube videos. He's completely educated himself on a new product category in the matter of a couple of months, just by doing his own research and watching YouTube videos. Um, oh, that is great. You know, that, so that, that changes that's the, it too. That's the one I would want to hire if I were in any, in any organization right now. Right. That's because that's practice. That is a person who says, I'm, I'm going to contribute to this company. And I, you know, obviously there, but, if then if there isn't something readily available on on solar, I want to know a lot more about solar. I want to be the solar guy, right? And 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 maybe I'll take that to, you know, forward into my life in in, in other ways. Because hey, guess what? Solar is it. You know, fossil fuels are going. Solar is it, and we're electricians, <laughs> so we gotta have we gotta have a current. So that that is a great story, and and it's true that. Uh, I'm having to migrate uh, the work that I've been doing onto YouTube 
because it, it's easier to make sure it's saved on YouTube over the long haul. As long as, long as I pay the bills on my <laughs> podcast site right now, it'll be there. But the minute I stop paying, I won't be able to access all these great podcasts anymore. So my editor from uh, my library said, Dave, you got to migrate that. So he took me up to YouTube last Friday on our weekly call. And I go, oh, my, you know, my head spun. I looked at YouTube when I was a professor and some students said, uh, Doc, you should really take a look at YouTube. This is 20 some years ago when it was just kicking off and it hadn't been purchased by Google. It was a standalone. And I thought, you know, hey, cool, 2000 videos <laughs> they they get that in a nanosecond now but right. it's wonderful how, how people are self-organizing and using the video the video um and that'll tell you something else about the difference in the way people prefer to get their information now uh we put uh, our book out as a digital book probably one of the very first in our field in the field of organization and change and it's not People are going digital. What, what, I'll, be send, I'll be sending you a link to it. But uh, And I said, wait a minute, think about this. I can add to that book indefinitely. I can click in this podcast recording. I can click in an article. I can keep making that book more and more valuable. Can you do that with a book that's made of paper and sitting on a shelf? No. And so I was, I'm kind of leaning into where YouTube and other things are going in terms of the self-directed learner and uh, that kind of teaching is changing as well, then I assume. I want to get back to this new title of yours. And now business development, is that marketing? Uh, so it's a little bit of marketing. Um, it's also some new segments. So more of the commercial sales management. So if you look at my career, I've done a lot more on what I'd call the functional support side of things. So I've, I've yeah. led purchasing, I've led operations. Um, I've been involved in, in vendor alignment. Um, I did have a small sales role when I was early on in my career. So I've had a little bit of exposure to the sales side, but I've never had really a leadership role in the sales part of it. This is really leading the sales part of the organization. So if you if you look at our region over the last couple of years, we've been incredibly successful. We're growing gangbusters. And that's really in our traditional business space. So some of it has been new new branches and growing in territory. Some of it's just growing market share in the, in the markets that we're in. What we're really looking at is we look at a three to five year plan of where do we go from here is developing some additional segments. So going out and so solar and anything in the energy green space, so solar, EV charging, you know, lighting efficiency, LED, any of that piece of it has, it's a part of our business now, but it's a small part and there's a ton of opportunity to grow. Um, we look at some complementary type businesses like Datacom and low voltage. Again, it's a place that we've played in a little bit, but not really, there's a huge opportunity there. Um, and then we look at services, which traditionally we're a distributor. We handle boxes, we touch product. Services mm -hmm. is a piece though, that is continuing to grow. As you look at the software packages to support the technology we have, or helping our customers commission you know, different products and get them up and running or troubleshoot if there's a problem once they are running. And so that's a new segment that we're looking at as well, which is very different for, for our business model and how we operate. Absolutely different. Uh, but yeah. um, it, you know, it happened naturally, I assume, at, at a branch, if someone came up to the counter and, and uh, started to talk about some challenge you're having with a the thermostat that you guys had sold. Exactly. Then someone would say, well, 
wait a minute, I'll, I'll call Bob up here. He knows all about that. So there'd be a little bit of service going on there. Uh, but now you're talking about blowing that out into another business um, galaxy, if you will, for, for the company. Uh, I, I'm, I'm tuning in, particularly when you mentioned the, each, the chargers, given the latest uh, bill that yep. just made it through the enormous change bill, is that word again. Uh, yep. And thinking of where you are in Colorado and in the states there to <laughs> pertaining, uh, there's an awful lot of distance that, uh, out there. Um, if you get outside of Denver, where are you? So, so how, I'm just thinking about conceptually, what, how can we have enough chargers since almost all the car makers are saying we're done with gasoline yep. three, four years how are you guys noodling that charger thing? Because there's going to be a lot of demand to put them everywhere, including yeah, down there's, there's, your yeah, smallest absolutely. towns. And that's a lot of, a lot of uh, components and a lot of wire. It is, it is absolutely. And, you know, I think there's a couple of different, there'll be the residential. So anyone who has one in their, their homes and having them in residential facilities, um, there'll be more of the commercial space. So you go to the grocery store while you're inside buying your groceries, you'll charge your car. Um, even traditional gas stations. I don't know if you've started to see this, but actually the one just down the street from me at my house, uh, is, they took out some of the parking spaces. And so now next to the gas pumps, there's an EV charging bay and you can oh, get wow. 10 cars in there. And, and you know, because you think about it, if you're, no, yeah, right. so you're going to see gas stations start to change, right? Because there's still the other thing. You still, you're on a road trip. You need to stop and get some water or some coffee. You need to go to the restroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you still need to stop or you still need a place to, to stop. So you stop, you charge your car, you still go in. And, and just like if you had a, a gas vehicle, you'll That's see right. that. Um, so you're, yeah. you're seeing a lot of different places that are starting to think about how can this be part of my business? How can this be a place and actually, quite honestly, how do you attract customers? Think about a coffee shop, same thing. So, you know, if a customer needs to stop and they can charge their car for 10 minutes, 30 minutes, just however much they need to get, and they can come in and have a cup of coffee while they're waiting. So businesses are really starting to think about how can this actually be a, a feature to attract customers and bring them in? Um, so you're going to see it all over the place. And, and, you know, the technology is really neat right now. It's advancing really quickly. There's yeah. a lot of links between the EV charging and solar. And so can you have a solar panel that charges your EV charger that then charges your car? Um, so there's a lot of things that are coming on the market. So there'll be a lot more solutions. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure. So the infrastructure between the infrastructure bill and the um, Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of money in both of those that's going to affect a lot of this and how we build these systems out and we get the grid ready for these. Uh, you know, if you've if you've read through the Inflation Act, there's a lot, the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of money that's going to be coming over the next kind of three to five years. And so it's going to be phased out um, as it rolls out and for all these different areas, which is great, because I think it'll allow us time for the technology to catch up to the funding. It actually, again, very reminiscent for me of back to kind of 20, 2008, 2009, when all the money came out for solar and you had like Solyndra, you may remember there was the big investment um, yeah. And even though that particular business ended up going bankrupt, the technology that came out of that is really what fueled a lot of our current solar industry today. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so I think you're going to see very similar things happen in the next couple of years. Do you have um, conversations with your with your suppliers all the way back to the OEMs in, of this sort when you're talking about all the prospects that you can envision uh, for the country and particularly for your region, uh, 
I know you don't personally have those, but does the company, as you are a distributor, have uh, serious conversations about these trends? Yeah, we do. We absolutely do. For, I mean, a number of reasons. I think to get feedback on, um, you know, the markets that are out there, what we're seeing, to, you know, understand from a, an installation a contractor perspective, what's important to them. You know, a lot of this, again, these products are being developed. Some of them exist. I mean, some of them exist, but there's a lot of change happening. So even just getting feedback on what, what we want the future of this to look like, um, you know, even you, you think about the EV charger, you think about the solar panel, you think about those very, what I'd consider more technical products, but even things as simple as pipe and wire. A lot of pipe and wire is going to have to go in to install all of these and connect them back to the grid. So, even the, the products that might not get as much attention in, in you know, the public side, there's still a lot there. And so these manufacturers are having to think about how do we ramp up capacity? Where is that going to be? Is that going to be in California, New York? Is it going to be spread across the whole country? Yeah. Um, because then that affects logistics, like we talked about earlier with the supply chain. And, you know, understanding um, it's, you know, the, the last mile is the hardest. How do you get it to the customer for the last mile? That's the hardest. And that's really where we come in. So again, understanding logistically where are these things going to be happening and how do we get product positioned so that it's ready to be installed? You also have uh, developed over the years, we referred to them as branches earlier on, but I'm picturing the whole map of the country and probably within 50 to 100 miles of anyone there would be uh, a Rexel branch. Is that about right? I mean, depending yeah, on, I, I know you got some big spaces out there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> even right. the, even the prairie dogs are lonely out in some of those parts. <laughs> yeah. But basically yeah, what have. I guess I'm getting at is you have something that a lot of global uh, companies, uh, maybe even in the same domain, don't. You have, you still have people on the ground, people who, who are neighbors to the community, people who, uh listen and and people who explain so that Absolutely. while you're talking at this uh, really great level of, of prospects and so forth there could be um important conversations that will eventually happen because they can say oh yeah uh pipes and wires well what do you mean pipes and what well recognize that these wind all these great uh wind generator electric wind yeah. generators that's a lot of pipe and there's a lot of wire <laughs> and it's coming, you know, and there are parts of York state where those things probably are, uh, look, look like an army of, of giant birds, you know, because you've got the wind. And so it's exciting as hell, uh, Whitney. I, you made me so jealous. <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's good, exciting stuff. You know, I was, I was actually in a meeting with a vendor last week and we were having the same conversation and made the comment that, you know, the next 10 to 15 years might be some of the most exciting time we have from an electrical product standpoint, just in terms of the development. I mean, you have a couple of segments that you think about LED lighting and solar to an extent, the last decade or so has really taken off. And we've seen a lot of that, but you're going to see those trends across the board. I mean, you know, if you've, if you've heard of um, one of the other things that's really kind of starting to get a foothold is the idea of a smart home. So you have your Alexa, you have your thermostat, you have, you know, your, your cameras, your lights, well, that all has to be charged by a smart device or a smart um, panel in your house. So the whole industry is changing and the products and the way that they interact and the way that we as, as consumers interact with them is changing. So it's going to be a pretty exciting time. And, you know, a lot of the things that we're trying to do from an energy and environmental standpoint, 
depends on this infrastructure, depends on these, these products that are in place in order to be able to achieve them. Um, if you're going to do, you know, demand reduction for electric use on a hot day kind of thing, you have to have these products in place. So it's, it's going to be interesting as all this comes out. Now I'm looking at what I jotted here as we're summarizing and have our only last minutes or so of listening time. Anyway, you and I hopefully will never stop getting connected and talking, but uh, I looked at the word changer again, and I'm thinking the next 10 to 15 years could be the among the most exciting in regard to all the innovations that are that are being driven now by funding, by circumstance, and you name it. Also looking at the fact that in order to bring in a young workforce, uh, they they want to be part of something exciting. They want to feel that that uh, um, that they can be part of changing. They could become changers too. So I think the timing is very very good for Whitney Walroth, the changer, also <laughs> vice vice president for business development for Excel. And uh, any last thoughts, Miss Changer? <laughs> well, you can throw that into the family too. You know, you have two lovely young boys, and uh, you, you know, you, you and your husband certainly are going to be proud of all the changes that families are going through too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, at the end of the day, we can't stop change. It's it's coming whether we like it or not. So I, I try yeah. to embrace it. I try and you know, appreciate it for what it is. Keep the things that work, you know, don't, don't throw out the stuff that we've learned, the lessons we've learned, you know, keep those things. And, and those, I think you can, you can plug in and reuse and are, you know, should stay with us. Um, but be, just be open, just be open to what's coming. And, and, you know, one of my favorite things to do and what, what you and I always did when we worked together is just to brainstorm, just yeah. to think about, well, what if, what if, what if we completely got rid of that whole thing that we thought was the answer and we yeah. started all over? Um, and, you know, I like to look at it from different people's perspectives and put myself in somebody else's shoes, you know, what would be important to them. And I think that's, for me, it's exciting. It's fun. Um, you know, and really being able to work with people and collaborate and just take the mystery out of it a little bit. I think a lot of people are afraid of change, which is understandable. Um, but the more that we can just be open about it and communicate, uh, I think that really helps everybody get on board. Wow. Well, you heard it here, folks on the practice podcast um thank you so much Whitney. this has been extraordinarily exciting for me you've you lifted my spirits about even being in the business right now of promoting practice and in the book and the podcast and just getting people to pay attention to how much if they take responsibility as you are doing for their own happiness in in work in business and find things that are new and grow with it. Hey, uh, we're both in a good place. No, thank you, Doc. I always enjoy our conversations. It's great. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book, 
on practice as a way of being is available now in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.